Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Killer Cocktails. Um, this is our Surfer on Acid uh, episode. Yipes. Which can be... Stripes. Fruit stripe gum. <laughs> it is not good. Um, Jacqueline, where did you get this idea for this cocktail? So, do you know when like you really liked a book or a movie when you were a little kid? Mm-hmm. And then you watch it or read it as an adult, and then you go, hmm, doesn't stand the test of time? Yeah. That is this drink for me. <laughs> Because this was my early 20s. Like, I cannot tell you how many Surfer on Acid shooters. For the most part, we would get shooters. I don't think I've ever sipped on it before. Because uh, we would we would be in Chico. They would be super cheap. And we would just... I, I know, don't... I know why they were $2. Yeah. <laughs> this is awful. It's not good. Everyone, we will give you the recipe for this. But do not drink this. Do not spend your money yeah. on this drink. I, I recommend pour a nice bourbon into a glass and sip on that while we struggle through drinking these yeah um have yourself a martini have yourself a get there's so many other things just you a tequila have. shot <laughs> yeah be better than this so what is in this drink <laughs> uh it is equal parts so whether you're doing a shooter or a mixed drink just make as much as you need never make a picture of these never why would you oh my god do you want to kill someone? No. Are you not I, friends with someone? You I invited them to a party? No murderous. Not a murderous bone in my body. But it's going to be equal parts. Jaeger. Jaegermeister. Gross. Yeah. I think my least favorite. I I will drink Fireball before I'll have that. Yeah. Goldschlager. Like. But this is a thing. Uh, well, 99 bananas. No, fuck no, nope. bananas. Ninety nine bananas worse than Jaeger. Yeah, but that's the only one I can think of that is. Listen, the only reason why I said yes to this cocktail was because you recommended it. You had too much trust in me. I hate fucking coconut rum. I hate fucking Jaeger. Who the fuck drinks pineapple juice? Unless <laughs> <laughs> you know. But. I I think I got caught up in thinking that it was a great name of a drink for it would lend itself to good murders. I mean, I found the best story of all time. We've already argued about this. Mine <laughs> is going to be better than yours. Mm, we will settle this, like gentlemen. All right, equal parts Jaeger, uh, coconut rum, and pineapple. Mm-hmm. You can again put it in a shooter, put it in a, a highball glass, a, a Collins glass. Uh, you can garnish it with, we saw, you can garnish it with a lime, you can garnish it with a pineapple chunk. Yeah. Um, honestly, it's just a chore. Put it in a shooter glass, get it out of the glass, and then you don't have to think about it anymore. Just order a fucking other shot. Just get something else. Get a better nipple. The, you know, this Screaming is, orgasm. this is for, this is for kids that are partying. Are you in Chico? Order this shot. <laughs> yeah, we're not in Chico. No, not anymore. No. All right. Do you know the history of this drink? Yeah, it's pretty short. So in the 90s, this guy, bah, what's his name? Eric Tabosky. I think it's Tabosky or Tabotsky. It's like that. That's a name. Um, I'll get it. We'll give him his dues. Tukoski. I was close. Yeah. Eric Tukoski invented this at uh, the Sun on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Some bar. Yeah, he was a bartender at Jones Hollywood. So basically these 
drunk assholes came up <laughs> and they were like, make us a surfer on acid. And he was like, ugh, all right, what's in that? And then they started rattling off like a, like 99 bananas wow. and some other horrific stuff. And he was like, okay, cool. I'm not making it out of any of that. I've been working on this other drink and I love that name. So he stole the name from these drunk kids. And he made this shit? And made this. And this what? was better than whatever they were asking no. for. It looks like poo water. <laughs> <laughs> it's brown. Oh, nothing on you, Toboggan, or whatever your name is. <laughs> <laughs> Toboggan. <laughs> but this ring is shit. I also think <laughs> this is <laughs> this is your poo water. <laughs> oh. This should have been a shooter. I mean, we did do shooters, but then we did do... I did... Okay, so this is the thing. I dropped the ball, and I forgot to bring pineapple juice to the party. So I had to run to the store, and all they had was pineapple and orange juice. And we're like, that's that couldn't be it. But... Our friends went and got his pineapple juice. Yeah. And it was actually a little, a bit, little better. bit better. Yeah. So don't recommend the pineapple orange. No, That's not going to that. up this game at all. Do that pineapple. The only way to make it better is to not include Jaeger. It's to not drink it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive right in. Um, oh, quick little side story before we get started. Because during my research, I found this really cool story, I thought. Um, your face. <laughs> I'm, I, go ahead. Okay. So, did you know that in South Carolina, in Charleston, if you order a cocktail, that behind the bar tender, there's just going to be mini... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> okay, behind the bar tender. <laughs> you hit the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so if you order a cocktail... That behind the bartender, there are going to be miniature bottles of all the liquor. They cannot sell from full bottles. So when you order a cocktail, uh-huh. they grab you a little thing of, like, Crown yep. Royal or whatever. Like you got it on a plane. Yeah, yeah. And so the thing is, you they have to pour out the whole um, mini bottle. Okay. And the thing is, everywhere else in the country pours you an ounce to an ounce and, yeah, like, yeah. like, 1.2. So by doing it this dumb way, they're making everyone drunker. Yeah, so you get 1.7 ounces. And so there's a lot more DUIs and, yeah, a lot more drinking so problems. Silly. But it's from the prohibition, essentially. Um, yeah, those old laws. And yeah. so they're the only uh, state that still does this. Caroline and I were having a conversation the other day that in Utah, because you used to have, I was asking her if you still had to do it, and she said, no, that was that's a bygone era, mm-hmm. where in order to drink at a bar, you had to be a member of the bar. Oh, like you and had like, to pay and your you dues? Could, and you could buy like a day's membership at the bar. Like it was this whole yeah. ramshackle whatever. Um, and like they make special beers for Utah. Like you can't get a normal beer in Utah. They're always going to be a lower percentage alcohol. Yeah. And, like, Coors makes special beers for Utah. Oh, like, their percentage can't, doesn't even cut it in Utah? Yeah. Aren't they, like, 3% or something? It's low. Oh. You cannot get, like, a real beer in Utah. Mm. When my friends and I, <laughs> on my sabbatical, when my car broke down, we walked in 115-degree heat to this golf course that was, like, our oasis. Because <laughs> uh, there was no shade. Like, we could not get out of this heat anywhere. So, we're like, let's go to this golf course. So, like, a bunch of schlubs. We just, like burn our feet walking to this golf course we get inside and we're like sorry we look sweaty and horrible we're gonna eat burgers and have a beer and then halfway through the beers we had had one round and maybe the second round was coming was when i decided to upset my friends yeah where i go you know these aren't real beers right (gasps) and they go what do you mean i go like we had ordered ipas they are not 
They're so low. Why did and, you order one? Because it's, it's still a tasty drink. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you really, you could have just said nothing, and they're like, well, my tolerance is really high today. <laughs> this is great. It was fun to watch them get that upset. <laughs> we were having such a shitty day. <laughs> you just poop on the parade. Yeah. Oh, heckless. Yeah. Oh. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, being a member of, yeah, ask Caroline about it, because I can't give you all the details that will be entertaining. Yeah, our Mormon, but not Mormon friend. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but no, she's telling me all about. Utah, crazy. they're bizarre because they would do the same thing. You would have to go to like a little. I imagine, <clears throat> like you know, uh, like snack bar, mm-hmm. like at like swim meets and stuff. Like you'd yeah. go to a snack bar and you'd order the alcohol, and then they would either like give you a bottle that then you would take into the bar, or they would take it into the bar. Like the bar couldn't sell you the alcohol; they only had mixers and a person that would mix it for you, and you could only drink it there. So you'd go to the snack bar and you'd get the booze that then could be made into a drink by the bartender. The whole thing is silly. That's crazy. That reminds me a little bit like when I was in Chile, you would be waiting in line. So you go to a bar and there'd be two massive lines. One line is to go pay for your drink and then you get a ticket and then you have to go stand in line at the bar. Why to would go you do fucking, it that way? Yeah. How is that? It, it That's was, not Kaizen. It was at insane. All. <laughs> And so you would go oh. and you buy like 10 drink tickets all at once. And then you go to the bar and then you wait in that line and you get like two. And then you have to wait in line and get your How, next. Do they think it's faster? Mm. I don't understand. No, there's just lines out the door. There's not faster. Why? I don't know. I, I think because they can't trust the money transact. I don't know. All right. Okay. <sighs> but it's everyone. It's then everywhere. they're trusting everyone to give the bartender a ticket. They could just be like, give them that. Uh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I don't like it. Okay, Jackie, are you ready for some murder? I'm ready, and I, I'm excited for yours. I feel like it's going to be good, just not as good as mine. It's going to be the best. Okay. Okay, so Jack Roland Murphy. Never heard of him. Awesome. I feel like we never hear about each other. We're like, cool. <laughs> See, tell me about it. Or known as Murph the Smurf. Nope. <laughs> Wait, Murph the Surf. He'd be Smurf if we were drinking hypnotic. <laughs> Sorry, 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 sorry. No, it's Murph the Smurf. <laughs> it just rolled off the Murph tongue. the Surf. Murph the Surf. So we're doing okay. surfers on acid. Yeah. There's your surf. Okay. He was born in 1938 in Los Angeles, California, and grew up in Carlsbad, California. Yeah. Uh, when Jack was a senior in high school, him and his family moved to Pennsylvania, and he started going down to Calif- uh, to Florida because he missed surfing, and he was, like, super good where at did, it. Where did he move with his parents? Uh, he's in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes, he pops down to Florida. Does Florida have good surfing? Eh, sure. They got, right. you know, hurricanes. <laughs> uh, okay, so he is an A student and he's amazing at sports. Um, he actually played in the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra at age 15. Whoa. So he's like, what do you play? I don't know. Timpani. <laughs> we need more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1962 and 1963, he was a state surfing champ in Florida. In 19... Okay, so they have surfing in yeah. Florida. In 1963, he won the Hurricane National Surfing Contest in Florida. All right. Yeah. So he's a fucking great surfer. He's great at, um, you know, athletics. And great at band. Great at band and academics. And as he got older, he became a tennis pro, and he actually got, like, a scholarship for that. Interesting. Um, a stuntman in movies, and a high-tower circus diver. Murph the Surf? Murph the Surf. Interesting. So, Jack is wicked smart with an IQ of a genius, they figured out later. Okay. Uh, which might have played a part into why he started getting into crime, because, mm. you know, he's a little bored. 
that and he lost his business and his first marriage and he fell in love with booze. So he also met this guy named Alan Kuhn, who was a ladies man and super wealthy. And he got his wealth um, after getting into the heist business. The heist business. Yes. <laughs> like the shrubbery business. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so a little bit about Alan's backstory. So Alan was a, you know, straight edge kind of guy until one night he uh, was at a bar and uh, the bartender took him into the back room. I think they knew each other. And then uh, when Alan got back there, he saw that this local uh, jewel thief had just got like a bullet put through his arm and he was like stitching up the wound. Oh, like back alley. Yeah. Doctor. Mm hmm. In the back of a bar? In the back of a bar, you know, using that vodka to sterilize it. <laughs> this is in, like, the 50s, probably? Sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so, uh, the, Alan's talking to the guy that had just been shot, and he's like, dude, like, what happened? And he's like, well, I got shot by a police officer trying to rob this coin store. And he's like, Alan, you should go finish the job. The police are onto that job. Mm, yeah. And so, but Alan's like, all right. <laughs> what I mean, you know, he's probably had a couple drinks. This guy's just been shot by the police who are on to him mm -hmm. stealing from this place. Do yeah. we not think? It's uh, a different time. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so Alan is quoted saying, I climbed up the building and found the hole in the roof that Johnny had cut. I went down a rope and cleaned the place out. It was just truly a thrill. Hole in the roof, roof and like rope yeah. into a jewelry store. Yeah. Um, he had got to be fun. <laughs> yeah. He had been earning uh, about $100 a day with tips um, at Casablanca, which I think is like a restaurant over Sounds there. Sounds like it. Um, and then a few days later, he claims he was handed uh, an envelope containing like $180,000 back then, like in 60s. Because he took the jewels to like a fence. He took them to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so Alan epitomized the glamorous gangster. He had a yacht. He had a 50-knot speedboat and he had a Cadillac convertible. So one night, Jack... Our, our surfer guy, Jack, joined his friends on a boat ride to a ro to rob a mansion, and he earned um, a quick $15,000 going to do this heist. Um, and then Jack was hooked. Jack was, like, onto that adrenaline. Yeah. And then Jack and Alan, who had mutual friends, soon began working um, together during these heists. And Jack said that he loved the thrill of escaping the law by boat, car, or even one time he swam in um, shark-infested waters to try to get away. And he also loved the affluent lifestyle made up of swanky parties, a home in Hawaii, a penthouse in New York, and a safe house in Santa Monica, California, um, after, you know, the cooling off after the jobs. Dang. Yeah. So it's very, like, a James Bond, but, like, the criminal side of it. Yeah. Yeah. On October 29th, uh, 1964, Jack, along with Alan and this other guy named Roger Clark, stole 22 gems from the New York City's Museum of Natural History, which were from the J.P. Morgan collection. Ruh -roh. Some of these gems included... He's going to steal the wrong person's stuff at some point. Yeah. So some of... Uh, oh, this is like Ocean's Eleven. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the theme song, but <laughs> I knew what you meant. I just watched them too. Okay, so some of these gems included the Eagle Diamond, which was sixteen point two five carats. Which was I know carats mean something, but I don't. I don't know what a number means compared to another. Oh, number. so I looked. Uh, so for this one comparison, I don't know. Uh, Kim Kardashian's um, <laughs> fucking engagement ring was sixteen or twenty carats, which it's is pretty big. Fucking big, yeah. What did Kobe get his wife when he got in trouble? That was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. And then another gem that was sold was um, the D-Long Ruby, which is 
32 carats. That sounds like a very large... It's fucking huge. Oh, here we go. We're about to get some size hits here. Okay. And the Star of India, which is a 563.35 carat, and that was a sapphire, which is the size of a large golf ball. Damn. Yeah. So it's like... Uh, I saw pictures. It was like filled the palm of your hand. You know what's crazy is they're only worth that because we decide they are. Mm-hmm. There's just some rocks. It's just a rock from the ground. Some shiny rock. There's lots of shiny rocks. Mm-hmm. I got a rock. <laughs> um, okay. So they stole all these jewels or these gems. Um, this heist is known as the biggest jewel heist in American history. Whoa. Yeah. So Jack and his buddies um, had cased the museum, and they discovered that security was lax to, non- to non-existent. The alarm system was uh, non-operational. How? Okay. What? I'm irritated by that fact. Why? That there's no security around this and that their security system is... Well, think about it. It's, I don't know, the 50s. It's 60s. also, like, we're also talking about one of the largest collections of expensive yeah. stuff what was it? i was reading like the the sapphire at least was uninsured people have been robbing banks since the <laughs> wild west you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. like use your head yeah um okay so the case of place non-existent um they um had seen that on the fourth story there was like um uh, a window that would keep they'd keep open for ventilation so they just fucking scaled that and mm-hmm. went through the window um, acrobats and then when they got to the display case all the alarms were non-functional and the one alarm that was on i believe the sapphire um the alarm had like the battery had died this is not oceans 11 <laughs> 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 uh, so the stones they took were valued at more than four hundred thousand dollars back in the 60s which comes out to roughly over a little over three million dollars for today it's quite a haul yeah and by the by the way these are just two beach bum looking guys like they're just surfers fucking doing these heists do i get a picture of this eventually sure (laughs) i'll pull it up um so jack was arrested two days later with his accomplices the thing that gave them away was a bellhop who who had told police about the lavish parties that they had been throwing at the cambridge hotel the weeks leading up to the heist and how they weren't very secretive about their plans okay um, so during the trial, they were all treated as celebrities, and the papers made them out to be heroes. People would actually cheer when they were walking into the courtroom. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, they received, uh, they each received a three-year sentence. The Star of India was recovered in a locker in Miami, in a Miami bus station. Most of the bus other... station lockers. Uh-huh. Most of the other gems were also recovered, except the Eagle Diamond, which they think but was broken down and sold individually. Mm-hmm. So that one's gone. Hard one to move. Yeah. Um, a lot of these were because they were so well known. Yeah. That the buyers, like, you couldn't. Which isn't that kind of sad because what was cool about it was that it was so big. Mm-hmm. Bummer. Yeah. Um, so a quick little side story. So another one of the gems that wasn't found in the locker was the ruby. Um, and after months of investigation, they found the private black market buyer who had bought the ruby and they negotiated through uh, third mm. parties to ransom it. For $25,000 back in 60s money. Yeah. Uh, the ransom was actually paid by another third party who was a wealthy Florida businessman, John D. MacArthur. And the ruby was dropped off at the designated drop-off site, which was a phone booth at a service plaza on the Sunshine State this is a Parkway movie. near Palm Beach, Florida. Yeah. Dang. Mm-hmm. Um, do they know where the heart of the ocean went? <laughs> Never let go, Jack. Never let go. Um, so when Jack was re- released from New York's uh, Rikers Island prison, Rikers, Rikers, uh, his persona definitely changed from his experiences in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's quoted as saying he didn't give a damn about anything or anyone anymore. 
So it's been nasty always. It's always been nasty. Rikers. That was, I sent you an article the other day in a follow-up to something we were talking about in a previous episode where I couldn't remember what happened to that kid. I just knew that that kid had gone to Rikers. So he was a young teenager when he was accused of stealing a backpack. He gets sent to Rikers. They kept, uh, he refused to plead out. So he said, I did not steal that backpack. I want to go to, to trial. You have to prove I stole that backpack. And that was part of why he was in there for so long is because he refused to plead out. Because they do. They just try to force you to plead to a lesser, just, you know, doesn't gum up the, the works as much if you just agree to lower stuff. And he was eventually, he was in there for three years and he was eventually released because the witness, they couldn't track down the witness who said he stole the backpack anymore. Yeah. Because so much time had elapsed. And when he got out, he did like, he kind of had a hard time readjusting to life outside because he had kind of been a kid in a very scary situation because they had also put him into solitary confinement for, like, for his protection. Years, yeah. for two years, this young kid, while his brain is forming, yeah. is stuck in this little tiny... And he, and, and he got beat up. Oh, he like got beat up. Like, yeah. It was... It was horrible. And he gets out and he had a hard time acclimating. And he was trying to like go like get a continuation high school degree. Mm-hmm. And... and someone actually paid to uh, like, I think he finished that and he was going to try to go to college and someone donated yeah, he money. Had, he, so, he had people yeah. trying to help him out and, and try to move it along. And he ultimately like he kind of shelled off in his room. Uh, and people say it was kind of reminiscent of him trying to kind of recreate his his previous situation and he ultimately killed himself yeah it is such a sad story yeah so Riker, yeah rikers is we definitely have to move to rehabilitation not like um not just punishment you yeah have to... you you get nothing out of punishment yeah nobody does yeah <clears throat> all right so back to the story um the heist was made into a movie in 1975 oh, all right well, uh what movie directed by marvin comsky comsky called Murph the Surf. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> Should I do that again? Yeah, I guess. Okay. I guys started laughing at Cumsky. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's C-O-M. I mean, it's probably Cumsky. Comsky? Where am I looking? Comsky? Chomsky. Oh. <laughs> 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 okay. <clears throat> okay, so the heist was made into a movie in 1975, and it was directed by Marvin <laughs> Chomsky. <laughs> Chomsky? I think. Okay, Chomsky. Called Murph the Surf. The movie starred Robert Conrad, Burt Young, and Don Stroud as Jack. Interesting. And Seems like one they'd be remaking by now. Yeah, they really should. Uh, so Jack says it's uh, that the movie was inaccurate and thinks that they ruined it by turning it into a comedy. Mm. Right, I can see um, how if you were part of it, you'd think that. Yeah. All right. So Jack starts getting into more risky heists. And um, during one of these heists, he acts as a lookout and a getaway driver. And when he, uh, him and his two partners broke into this huge mansion of Olive Wolf Ford, who was a Miami Beach socialite, um, they like held her at gunpoint and oh. was like, open your safe. This is more aggressive than yeah. it's been in the past. Um, if you don't open your safe, we're going to pour boiling. He was lookout getaway driver for this one or he yeah. was a part of it? Uh, he eventually came in the house. Okay. Um, so they have a gun pointed to her head and they're like, if you don't open the safe, we're going to pour boiling water on your eight year old niece. What the hell? Yeah. Um, and so, um, that happened 
And so they eventually get away, but he's apprehended for that. Um, but they didn't pour the water on the niece. I don't believe so. No, okay. I think she ended up opening the safe. Got it. Um, but worse than that uh, was when two Californian secretaries, uh, Terry Ray Frank and Annalel Marie Moan, were found dead in 1967, and Jack was one of the main suspects. Jack denied he had anything to do with the killings. Later to be known as the Whiskey Creek Murders, the two mm. women had been shot, bludgeoned to death, and then dumped in a creek near Hollywood, Florida. Concrete weights had been tied to their necks to help them sink. Whoa. What do we think the motive is for killing them? I'm about to tell you. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so these women had allegedly stolen stocks from a brokerage brokerage firm in L.A. that they had been working for, and the stocks were worth over $3 million in today's money. Ooh. Um, so after they did this, they fled to Florida, and and they eventually met Jack, and they actually moved into Jack, uh, Jack's apartment a couple days after they got there because they couldn't afford their hotel, and the girls uh, were starting to get antsy, so we went for a boat ride. Jack says, mm-hmm. and so Jack says that um, during the boat ride, um, there were five passengers. There were the two girls, himself, Griffin, and a mysterious guy named Rusty. Oh, Rusty. <laughs> Jack claims that he was at the wheel when the girl said, if we don't get our money, we're going to the FBI. And one thing led to the, uh, to another, and the girls were dead. So Jack admits that he did... Yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I was driving the boat. <laughs> uh, so Jack admits that he did help dispose of the corpses, confessing it was an absolute nightmare. This was not part of the plan. I've got dead bodies in the back of the boat. You get rid of the, the situation the best you can. So he's kind of painting himself as like, I'm not this murderer. I'm not just trying to kill people. Like, I got caught up in the wrong situation at the wrong time. Yeah. But I just got to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's his story. Yeah. So in 1970, he received a second life sentence. Oh, so he receives a... Um, uh, so he's found guilty of that. Yeah. He, he gets... Everybody else on the boat probably too? I don't know. I think he takes a fall for it. So he gets a life sentence for Terry's murder. He doesn't get convicted of the other girl's murder. Hmm. And then in 1970, he received a second life sentence plus 20 years for the conspiracy and assault um, and uh, to commit robbery against Olive, the the socialite in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. So he has two, two life sentences in 20 years. So while in prison, he sparks one of the biggest riots at Florida State Prison. Um, but then he becomes a born-again Christian in 1971. Hey. Hey. He, and he said, I didn't take it too seriously then. It just seemed like the politically correct thing to do. Oh, my God. So remember, he's he's a genius. Yeah. And so he's he's working the thing. Okay. So in 1974, Bill Glass, who's a former football player who played 11 seasons in the NFL, beginning with the Detroit Lions and then finishing his career as a standout, standout with the Cleveland Browns. Um, Cleveland. <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> I, I truly thought Cleveland was a different city. <laughs> Every time you said it, I was like, I have no idea where Cleveland even, is. No, I just can't say Cleveland. <laughs> okay. Uh, Roger, Roger Stochbach? Stockbach. Ooh. He's a former NFL quarterback. Storbach? No. S-T-A-U-B-A-C-H. Yeah, I don't. All right, that guy and McCoy McLemire, a professional basketball player. Uh, So all three of these guys visited Florida State Prison and as part of uh, Bill Glass's Champions for Life weekend. Okay. And this uh, this little uh, Champions of Weekends uh, was to assist the church by equipping and uh, igniting Christians to share their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. So Jack was immediately drawn to their cause. 
Um, and at the time, um, Jack had um, an earliest parole date of November 2,225. But that Whoa. weekend changed his attitude, and he devoted his future time spent in prison to serving a higher cause. He became a model prisoner and jailhouse artist, painting seascapes and lighthouses. And he started counseling troubled youth and working for the prison's chaplain. This is in the 70s? Yeah. Uh, he even was interviewed, uh, interviewed for a documentary about the power of the growing prison ministry movement, which is called Faith in the Big House, which was released in 2011. Hmm. Uh, the Florida Parole Board decided to release him on parole with lifetime monitor- monitoring in 1986. Okay. Which is crazy because he has two life sentences. Yeah. But they're going to put him on lifetime parole now. So they released him. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, he's really changed his life around. Okay. So in 1986, Jack began going back into prisons and jails all over the U.S. as a platform guest with Bill Glass. In 1990, he was hired by Bill Glass Champions for Life. After visiting over um, 1,200 prisons and recognizing the incredible change apparent in Jack's life, the Florida Parole Board terminated his lifetime parole in 2000. What does that mean? That means he's out. He's oh, not, he's not like back in prison. Like, you're done. Yeah, you don't We're have not, We don't need to watch you anymore. Mm-hmm. Jack is now the International Director for Champions for Life, visiting prisons, jails, and youth detention facilities all over the world. You know, you have to say, I mean, you got to say that's rehabilitation right there. Because that's what you're hoping for. I mean, he's making major, even if he's the biggest phony baloney, mm-hmm. he's, he's living that phony baloney life. He's giving back. Um, so Jack wrote a book of his experiences called Jewels for the Journey. Um, he has been married for 15 years to a woman he met during the making of the documentary. While he was in prison? Uh-huh. He's a prison wife? <laughs> I'll never understand. Um, and, um, so, and they have three sons and six uh, grandchildren. And Jack said, to this day, that era pains me. I'm not at all pleased with my past or the terrible mistakes that I did. The hurt that I caused people. I'm ashamed and embarrassed by all of that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So don't check out the movie because the movie is awful about the heist. Um, I heard the documentary is pretty bad, too. I didn't get to watch that. So but this, this is one we won't be mad when Hollywood remakes it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they should definitely remake it. Um, if you want way more details, Vanity Fair actually did a really good article. They just in-depth. Vanity Fair did a really good one on Versace. Yeah. yeah. They like got Alan. They got Jack. They interviewed both of them and they gave their sides of the story. So much more detailed than I put into this. But yeah, go check out that. Vanity Fair do better better reporting than I think? Oh, yeah. I think they have like investigative journalists on their staff. Interesting. Yeah. So that was. That's uh, the thing I learned today. (laughs) Yay. So that was Jack Roland Murphy. And oh, we're going to take a short break. We are not going to be refreshing our drinks. Don't refresh your drinks unless. All right. We're back from our break. We did not refresh our cocktails. They are gross. I'm drinking water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've made mistakes. Mistakes Mistakes were made. made. We've gotten this far, though. I mean, we've only. Those shots we didn't really recommend, but those were like tasty. And then there's this poop water. Um, what did you call it? They should be called surfer's balls. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Uh, um, but yeah, um, welcome back. We're going to hear from Jackie now. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell you about Caleb Lawrence McGilvery. Fun. 
So in 2013, Caleb was on a surfing and hitchhiking trip through California. Surfing? Mm, that's my tie. Okay, cool. He's a surfer. Um, you know what? Let me use the name he's more commonly known as. Kai, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. You don't know who I'm talking about? No. Oh, okay. I just see him, like, spinning oh, around oh. his head. Oh. Get ready, Drea. Oh, no. So this is where I'm going to pause because I need you to watch a video real fast. What? Um, no. I encourage. It's not. It's, it's funny. Okay. I encourage everyone, if you're able to, pause the pause the podcast, open up YouTube, type in Kai, the uh, hatchet-wielding hitchhiker, or any of those words should pull it up, into the search box. The video lasts about five to six minutes, and then come on back. And... Drea will have just seen the video <laughs> as well. All right. I just got done <laughs> watching this fucking video. Uh, go watch this video when you get a chance on YouTube. What's it called, Dan? Kai, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. Oh, my God. Okay, him... him. Have you not seen that? No, I've seen that. But that was, like, a long time ago. Yeah, it was, like, um, back in, like, 2013. Jesus. He, he is a person. He's a person. <laughs> okay, so the video was uploaded on February 2nd. Groundhog's Day. Oh, <laughs> fucking calendar holidays 2013 by jessup riseback probably 90 right on that uh he's a local fox from a local fox affiliate kmph in fresno california so if you didn't if you weren't able to open up the video i'll give you a kind of brief little description here drea feel free to chime in pepper in with any of the stuff you remember so in the video, it depicts, so there's an eyewitness account of, uh, so Kai is the name of the guy that they're interviewing, and he's been hitchhiking. He was picked up by a man named Jet Simmons McBride, who uh, Kai describes as weighing 300 pounds. The guy claimed to be Jesus Christ. Uh, while driving, McBride told Kai that he had once raped a 14-year-old girl in the Virgin Islands while he was on a business trip back when he was 30 years old. Uh, they were driving near Fresno when McBride crashed the vehicle into a pedestrian. He pinned him against a truck. On purpose. On purpose. Which Kai, he's like, I'm Jesus Christ. I can do what I'm I Jesus want. I'm Jesus Christ. I can do whatever I want. Which yeah. is why he's then, he's like imp- trying to impress Kai. So then Kai jumps out of the car and he tries to help the pinned pedestrian while uh, McBride remained in the car. Then these other two ladies show up. McBride jumps out of the car and he starts attacking one of the women. And then in what witnesses describe as he just like gives her this huge bear hug. And then Kai fears for the woman's life. And he describes, he's like, that man could snap her neck like a pencil stick. <laughs> <laughs> so Kai pulls a hatchet from his backpack and repeatedly strikes McBride in the back of the head. Oh. The crazy way that Kai is describing this attack <laughs> where he's like miming a hatchet motion with his hand and going smash, smash, <laughs> so mash. He is like a surfer bro. He is who's a also high. Character. Yeah, telling the story of this horrific thing that happened. He's a to crazy him. person telling a story about another saving crazy. someone from another crazy person. Yeah. Um. So McBride, who's now been so mashed in the head with a hatchet, staggers away. Sits down by a nearby school and starts masturbating until police arrive and they take and him into custody. his skull is, like, open. He's been smashed in the head with yeah. a hatchet. Yeah. So Kai's interrogated by police, but ultimately set free. Everybody on the scene is like, he jumped, he helped us. He yeah. saved us. Yeah. He seems like a, like a cuckoo, but. <laughs> but he, a good cuckoo. He's a good cuckoo. That's a bad cuckoo. This is a good cuckoo. Yeah. 
Okay, so as of, so now this is probably a little bit more. As of October of 2018, the video had over 6 million views. I mean, it went viral viral back, you know, most of those videos are probably back in 2013. So uh, at the height of his fame, Kai had landed a guest appearance on Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, oh no. How did that go? <laughs> and this, I, have, I should have looked that up. I'll bet that's interesting. Uh, then he started traveling the U.S. on his fame. So he was already kind of on this hitchhiking adventure, but now he's like going across the U.S. instead of just through California. Yeah. Um, he's sleeping on couches and he's just kind of relying on the generosity of strangers. But people are running into him and they're like, Kai, like he's famous. <laughs> smash. Smash. <laughs> smash. Like it's nuts. Yeah. So that doesn't last very long. That's in February, right? So in May of 2013, he would find himself at the center of another murder investigation. Oh, shit. Um, on May 13th, friends of attorney Joseph Galfi Jr. asked police to check on him and officers found the 73 year old dead in his home. Oh, wait, who said to go check on him? His friends. Oh, okay. Officers found messages on Galfi's cell phone that led him, uh, led them to identify Kai as a suspect. What? So there's text messages that lead him to him, uh, cause Kai's long gone. They said that Kai also put a post on Facebook referring to a sexual assault. Kai was arrested days later as he was about to board a bus in Philadelphia. So the story goes that Kai had met Galfi in New York's Times Square just by happenstance in the middle of the day. It's a Saturday on May 11th after spending the previous night sleeping at the Port Authority bus terminal. So Galfi, uh, he's a partner in a small local law firm. He strikes up a conversation with him because I think Kai's just one of those people that talks to anybody. Um, and when he learned that the, when he learned that Kai was trying to make his way to New Jersey, Galfi, who is unaware of Kai's, like, hatchet fame, offers him a ride and a place to crash at his house uh, in Clark, which is, like, 13 miles south of Newark. Okay. So this old man is just taking in the transient sure. out of the goodness of his heart because they're headed the same direction. Yeah. At Galfi's ranch-style brick home, uh, Kai said that he had a couple beers and then he was given some food, uh, some of which was hamburgers. He thinks the hamburgers were drugged. What? He said, uh, he told the police the same thing in a statement that was taken after he was arrested. Um, in his, so most of this comes, there's an interview he did with uh, Vocative. It's a publication of some sort, um, which is a really good interview with him. Like he's just kind of, it's a long one, yeah. talking about all sorts of stuff. But he's in prison when he's being interviewed. Um, so Kai insists that he never had any sex for money and that Galfie was no exception, that he did not have sex with Galfie for money. Um, he goes, that's disrespectful to even imply that about me. Uh, did you see the pictures of the guy? Oh. Is, um, Who drugs burgers? Like, drug... I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So, Kai said that he passed out after eating the burgers, so that's why he's tying it in with the burgers. Yeah. It could have easily it been could, his drink. Yeah. If he was drugged. Um, so, he's saying he ate the burgers, then he passed out. He came to later on a floor in a dark room. So, this is a quote from Kai. I was under the influence of God knows what, and there is, for all intents and purposes, a naked man over the top of me sexually assaulting me. Huh. I fought tooth and nail on the street. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm a nice guy and stuff. But if you're sleeping underneath a train bridge and you wake up in a situation like that, you got to fight for your life. It's just a fact of survival on the streets. Yeah. So Kai's recollection, uh, what he remembers is that he struck Galfie in self-defense and ran away. Um, he didn't learn that Galfi had died until he was arrested. Yeah. So according to him, he's just like, I got attacked. I fought him off and I booked it. Did they find, um, the older gentleman like naked and dead or. So, uh, authorities said that Kai had fatally beat him 
and that he had run away to this train station uh, where he met a fan from his... Pa- so there's, like, people on Facebook who follow him, and, like, that's part of how he couch surfs and stuff. Yeah. Um, we'll get to what... Because police will have kind of have their own side of this. Okay. Um, then Kai's saying, do I feel bad that he's dead? It's a human life. So, I mean, yeah. Do I feel bad that he raped me? I feel embarrassed. Like, I think it's disgusting. I feel all sorts of emotions and stuff. I wouldn't wish on anyone else. Um, police completely do not buy Kai's story at all. Uh, following his arrest on May 16th, the county prosecutor told reporters that Galfi's death was thought out. He describes Kai's claims of being drugged and raped as pretty much self-serving. Uh, though the prosecutor did say that the encounter between Galfi and Kai appeared sexual in nature. So the prosecutors are saying he took this guy home, he was trying to have sex with him for money, or that they did have a sexual encounter, but it wasn't rape, that he wasn't fighting off this old man. Yeah. Uh, so a comment that Kai takes made, so Kai is super offended by these comments from the police. Um, he goes, they lied to the media and they said that he was found in his bed. They lied to the media and said it was a romp. That's fucking disgusting. Do you know how many hot chicks? Never mind. Even if I was gay, do you know how many hot gay guys would want to fuck me after that shit in California? I'm not even being vain. It's just like, no offense, but he was not a looker. What the fuck? This is how he's describing it. Oh, uh, I mean, like, okay, watch the video that plays into... You'll understand yeah. <laughs> his tonation and way of speaking. So he's arrested for on murder charges in May 2013 um, for the murder of 73-year-old uh, Joseph Galfi Jr. So uh, prosecutors told a grand jury uh, they had a printout of... So in Kai's duffel bag... They found a printout list of sex offenders. <gasps> Was he being like a... They made him what? out to be a vigilante seeking out sexual predators, is what Kai's attorney is saying. Oh. That they're telling the grand jury part of how they're painting the narrative about yeah. Kai is they go, look, he had this list of sexual... Was that older guy on, on the list? list? I don't know. I would think that that would be highlighted yeah, yeah, yeah. if that was true. Um so Kai's in jail. He started reading law books and filing his own legal documents. So he has a lawyer. He's gone through a couple trying to find one that kind of matches his style. Um, <laughs> saying it, it's been a steep price for waging his own legal battle from inside his cell. He claims that the jail's correction officers have thrown away books that were donated to him on the topics of cross-examination, rules and procedures, federal civil rules, um, that he's no longer permitted to use the jail's law library. Since February of this year, he's been held in isolation uh, for 23 hours a day. He says that that's punishment for aggressively pursuing his exoneration. Um, So Kai also admitted that while in jail, he's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm. An assessment that he feels, uh, he kind of views it with great skepticism. He doesn't think that he's bipolar. Uh, He had taken Zoloft, an antidepressant, for several months while he was in jail. Um... And he said that once authorities learned that he had all these lawsuits going, that he had filed all these motions, that they started forcing him to take more medications. Tegretol, Risperdal. Oh, you're going to do it. (laughs) Depakote. I don't know. Uh, But so Kai said that he stopped taking those drugs in February around the same time he was placed in isolation. Okay. So he's chicken and egg. Um, He's taking the adjustment to jail and solitary very hard. And uh, he had attempted suicide at one point. Like he's... He's just a surfer dude he's a floating around. Butterfly. He's a social kid. Yeah. Like, um, his trial is set for January 2019. I want you to think about when he got arrested. Oh, wow. 
2013, he's arrested. Yeah. His trial is not until January 2019. And that's because he can't afford. He has go- lawyers. Yeah. He's got, you know, he's a Canadian. He's not even American. Oh, Jesus. His dad was a probation officer. Oh. Well, in the little, uh, video clip that you showed me, he said that everyone who Which is really my family. hurt his family. There oh, was there was really? an article where they had interviewed, like, his mom. And, like, the parents split up a long time ago. Uh-huh. Um, and they were both, they're interesting people. Uh, but ultimately, they're still parents. And they yeah. Kind of, they, you know, at some level care about their kid. And they're, I think that comment, if you're a parent, I think yeah. that comment hurts. And that comment was, everyone who is my family cons- already considers me dead. Yeah. So. And the mom essentially was like, I have no way of getting a hold of Kai. I have the same phone number I've always had. He knows where to reach me, and he hasn't reach tried. Me. Yeah, that's crazy. It's it's like back to that Rikers case again with like just being in. I can't. The timing yeah. is so crazy. Yeah, that was part of. I kind of need to get back into season three of Serial. Like learning about that system is kind of fascinating. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Um, as always, shoot us an email at killercocktailspodcast at gmail dot com or hit us up at our Instagram and just talk to us let us know how we're doing yeah tell your friends thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of killer cocktails as always on our talent was jackie andrea uh, be sure to check out our instagram at killer cocktails podcast or stop by our website killercocktailspodcast.com for up-to-date information photos contests and more our logo was created by michelle firm whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com our music was created by nikolai heidlas And we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays.